0: Well, many of you have heard various parts of my, my testimony of faith, the story of my life, and, and, and so you would know um, to some degree that I, I was a, a doubter and a, a logic-driven type of person, and so my, my journey to faith was as, as a youth group high school kid that took me through a, a good year or more of, of questioning and, and, and probing and, and trying to find holes in Scripture and in ways that it might not be true. Um, And over the years, I was worn down. Um, But one of the struggles initially that I had when coming to faith, when trying to reckon with all of these things that I was hearing about in church and in youth group and in various places, was that I saw a, a, a very large degree of incongruency between what the scriptures said and how life ought to be lived and the things that God tells his people and the people Themselves. Uh, maybe that's part of your story. Maybe you have been to church and been disillusioned by church uh, by some degree. Maybe you have been hurt or wronged by someone in a church context. Maybe you have spent some time in church and you're just tired of the politics and, and those things and the bickering that happens. Or maybe you're just we're part of a church that was stagnant and didn't seem to be going anywhere. I, I struggled significantly because what I would see is I would see people come on Sunday morning, just like now, and gather and worship and sing these songs that spoke of God being the most precious and the most high and the most holy. And then I would see those same people in school or at the mall or at various places. And there was just this disconnect between what was proclaimed by their mouth on a Sunday and what was lived for the rest of the week. Again, I'm a fiercely logic-driven person. I was trying to discern whether these things of God were true but one thing I knew was if they were true they really would have to change everything and I didn't see that change in a lot of people. Now I don't say this in a judgmental way I think we understand that we are all sinners in the sight of God I think to demand perfection in this life from Christians is probably a silly proposition but in my high school idyllic mind that was the issue. Part of the way I actually came to faith was because I ended up on a mission trip with some students. And for the first time, I saw for a whole week straight I actually this congruency I saw lived out what Scripture proclaimed. We were there and we were serving and we were praising God and we were putting him first. And I saw people fundraise, like work to go to another state to work more. Right? Those things coming together were one of the first times that I saw the people of the church actually doing what they were supposed to be doing. And when I came face-to-face with that, when I understood the church living out its mission, when I saw people living for Christ, not just in a one-hour worship, song-song-song, message-song format, it shaped the way I understood things, and the Holy Spirit worked, and I invited Christ into my heart because that I wanted to be a part of. The challenge that I had as I look back is that what I wanted the people of Christ and the church to be as a high school idyllic kid was the kingdom fully realized. I wanted something that we didn't yet have, right? When we look in the words of Revelation and we see what's coming when Jesus returns with sin being no more and every tear being wiped and everybody just praising the Lord and completely under his reign, that's something that we long for. See, I wanted that in the church present. And when I didn't see it, it bothered me. And it caused me to turn away for quite some time because I didn't want anything to do with the hypocrisy. If Jesus is who he says he is, then it changes everything. I didn't see the change. So we've been talking about the church and the kingdom. And I realized that that kingdom is what I was longing for. See, we've we've tried to distinguish what is the church, what is the kingdom, how do they relate, how do they all function together... But one of the things we need to understand is they are not the same. We'll look at that a little bit later. The visible church that we spend time in is very far removed currently from this idealized picture. We aren't in the already, right? We have this already, not yet where we have parts of the, the reign of God that, are, that we see in our lives. We see that, that, that the Lord conquers certain sin. He is with us. He equips us. He saves us. He promises us salvation. We live somehow in the here and now of the kingdom. But yet it's not fully realized. Why? We have people that we know this year that we have lost. There is disease. There is illness. There is sinful hearts. You have strived with people this year. Within the church... There's division. Outside the church, there's even more of it. If you want an an evidence that the kingdom is not yet fully realized, all you have to do is look at the past year and the level of divisiveness. My friends, that can't be how the kingdom actually will look. And so we know that the church isn't there yet. So what does that mean for us? What is this church that we take part in, ultimately? It's so what we've been trying to look at for the last few weeks. But what is it and what is our role in it? Well, today I want to take a look at Matthew 16, 13 through 20. It's the confession of Peter as he's spending, as Jesus is with his disciples. And he asks them, who do you say I am? And they start to answer him. And we see this blessing that the Lord will give Peter. But first, some context. So Jesus has just returned from, to, to Galilee. He's been out and about and he's come back to Galilee and immediately he is tested by the Pharisees and Sadducees. They keep throwing these curveballs at him as if he doesn't know how to deal with them. But every time he comes back to there, it seems like he is attacked, questioned, tricked in some way by the religious leaders. And so we have this weird out of step where those who were supposed to be the ones who welcome and embrace Jesus on this earth are the ones that reject him. And those on the fringes are the ones that are following him. And so as as soon as he has come back to Galilee, they they question him and he goes right back out. And in 16, at the beginning, verses that we're not looking at today, he's talking to his disciples and he warns them about the leaven of the Pharisees. He kind of gives them this warning and he shrouds it in a metaphor of of bread. And they don't get it at first, but eventually he cuts to the point and he says, listen, the teaching of the Sadducees and Pharisees are something that you need to be really careful about. I know they're the leaders of our day, but you have to watch out because they're not telling you the truth. There's something more. There's something better. There's ways in which they are completely messing up the way that the kingdom is supposed to work. And so right after that, we get into this passage for our day, and Jesus starts to get very personal with his disciples. This is one of the first times we actually get a glimpse for who Jesus truly is. So let's read together. It's Matthew 16, 13 through 20. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said that some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Then he said to them, But who you say, I am? Now Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God. So we have this distinction between who people say he is and who he asks the disciples to say he is. And a lot of people think that he's a big deal, but no one is willing to confess who he truly is until he asks Peter and he says, You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God. And in response, here's what Jesus tells. Peter. And Jesus answered him, "'Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, "'for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, "'but my Father who is in heaven. "'And I tell you, you are Peter,' "'as if he didn't know his own name, "'and on this rock I will build my church, "'and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. "'I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven.'" And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. So, in response to Peter's confession for getting it right, he, number one, does a few things. He blesses him and he calls him by his name, Simon Barjona. And then later on, you'll see that he says, and you are Peter. There's a change of name. This is something that Jesus does quite often. We see Levi becomes Matthew. He changes people's names in some way to conform to the new identity that they have in him. And so he says, you are Peter. Number one, you're blessed. Number two, you're Peter. And then on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Something we'll look at in just a second. But that phrase is one of the more controversial phrases of Scripture. And then, not only does he call him the rock, but he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. So this kingdom that we've been talking about, this ultimate reality that all things are under the reign of Christ, Peter gets the keys to that. And we'll see what he does with those keys. And then he gives him the power to say, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. There's a few takeaways that we need to understand in this passage. The first is this. Peter is not a rock. I know that sounds perhaps silly. Um, And and he's not, he's literally not a rock. Um, He's also figuratively not per se a rock. We can get into the nuances of of grammar and, and linguistics And we can look at, you know, the the word for rock, Petra in here, is not masculine but feminine and all these things. But in the end, this is one of the passages that is mistaken in a lot of theological contexts. This is one of the primary verses of Scripture that, for instance, the Catholic Church bases its papacy on. Peter, to them, was the first pope. He was the rock. The problem is, is that grammatically it doesn't say that Peter is a rock. He says, you are Peter and on this rock. Right, why, would I, why would he say it that way? Why would, he say, why would he say, you are Peter, the rock, and on you I will build my church? He doesn't say that. He says, Peter, you are Peter, and on this rock, as they're standing next to each other talking. So what is the rock that, Pe- that Jesus speaks of? It is the profession that Peter has just made when he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So what is this rock that the church is built on? The church exists. Its foundation is the profession that Peter has made. The very nature of our existence as the church of God is the fact that he, Peter says, you are the Christ, you are the son of the living God. It is that truth and all that comes with it that identifies the church from the very beginning and its foundation. The church's foundation is the notion that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's the Son of God, and that he supremely rules in every way over all things, sitting at the right hand of the Father. Peter makes that confession, and in response, Jesus tells him, on that rock, on this rock, this this thing that you have confessed, this truth, on this I will build my church. He says, the, the gates of hell will not even prevail against that. So first, Peter is not the rock. Second, the church visible and the kingdom, while related, are not the same thing. See, Jesus first establishes the foundation of the church, like we just said. And then he gives Paul's the keys to the kingdom. They're related, but they're not the same. We were conversing this week as I was talking with Paul and some others about this and one of the, one of the words that just keep, kept coming up in conversation and in commentaries and books is the church is the vanguard of the kingdom. What is this word vanguard? Many of you know what it means. Some of you may not. I was slightly fuzzy. Um, I knew kind of one or two definitions, but here's what it says in the dictionary. This is the definition for vanguard. A group of people leading the way in new developments and ideas, or the foremost part of an advancing army or naval force. A vanguard is is that which leads something into something else, into something new, into something better, into something greater, into something bigger. And so the church, in relation to the kingdom, is the vanguard of the kingdom. It is the, the primary, in some ways, way... Thing that God ordains on this earth that is to usher in the kingdom of God. And so, yes, the visible church is far from the kingdom itself. We're not there yet. We live in this weird already and not yet. But the church is to be the force that ushers this kingdom in. Jesus came, he lived, he ministered, he was tortured and killed and resurrected to take away our sins and to begin this reign and to usher in a new way. And the church is the one that is primarily responsible for proclaiming that way, to say this is the way things are to be. We are not supposed to be reigned by things on earth and by sin and by death. But our lives are to be reigned by the one who created us, who loves us, who cares for us, who has the best for us. Everything on this earth should be subjected to him. And when people in the world see the church, they are supposed to see a foretaste of that they are supposed to say, I don't know what this kingdom eventually is going to be like, but if it's anything like what I'm seeing in the church, I want in. I want to be a part of that. I want to give my life to that. We're supposed to be the vanguard. The church is the thing that manifests the kingdom and ushers in its reign, which in its fullness is yet to come. And third... The church is not the only means that we have of manifesting the kingdom. After this sermon is over, hopefully you'll, you'll join our sermon study, but even after that, maybe I would encourage you to spend some time examining the early chapters of the book of Acts. Because one of the beauties is we have this account of Jesus coming, dying, resurrecting, and ascending, and then the people are just left to start the church. And we actually see what it was like. We can read about the early church. The people lose Jesus in in a physical presence type of way. And all of a sudden they have the Holy Spirit. And how do things start? It's the ultimate church planting story. And so I encourage you to read it. Because one of the things you will see is what Peter, along with all the others, does with the keys that he's been given. And what do we see if we look at specifically Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes, and, and yes, church happens, but more than that, life happens in a very different way. We see that the believers, they broke bread, they shared things in common. People started selling stuff to be able to help the poor among them. Those who had a lot sold a bunch, so that those who had nothing could have enough to thrive and live. All of this stuff, all of their lives was coming under Christ's rule. And so we have to understand that the church as an entity, is not the only way that the kingdom of God is to be manifested in this world. It also happens through the lives of us as individual followers of Christ. The way that you live when you're at your job, when you're with your family, the way you parent your kids, the way kids you treat your parents, all of these things, the way that you spend your money, the way that you spend your time, the way that you use your talents to either glorify God or yourself, all of these things are opportunities for us to manifest the kingdom, to in some way be vanguards of the kingdom as we are out and about. And because we are a part of the church, it's the church going out to do its thing. Right. I want to read you a quote by, uh, by a man named Gerhardus Voss. He was a late 19th century, early 20th century theologian. In some ways, he's, he's called the father of Reformed biblical theology, uh, for, for the, the, the theological uh, nerds out there who want to know about that. But he says this, and, it, and it's worth our time. Undoubtedly, the kingship of God, as his recognized and applied supremacy, so in every way, the way that God rules, is intended to pervade and control the whole of human life in all of its forms of existence. This is the parable of the leaven. This is what it teaches. These various forms of human life each have their own sphere in which they work and embody themselves. There's a sphere of science, a sphere of art, a sphere of family, and of the state, and a sphere of commerce, and of industry. Whenever one of these spheres comes under the controlling influence of the principle the divine supremacy and glory. And this outwardly reveals itself. There we can truly say that the kingdom of God has become manifest. Now, that's a mouthful. Um, I would not recommend that if you're tired that you just sit down and start reading Boss. It can take a little bit. But here's essentially what it's saying. Anytime, anytime, any of those spheres of our lives family lives, our work lives, our, our science, commerce, industry, all these spheres that are make, making up the world that we live in, any time, any one of those is lived in a way that is under the rule of Christ, that is supremely tied to the way that he does things. So when we commit to business in a way that God calls us to, when we order the way that we do business under the law and rule and reign of Christ... When we order the way we treat our spouses and our kids under the rule and reign of Christ. When we order the way we treat our peers. When we order the way we spend our money. When we put these things, anytime anything like that, any sphere of our life goes under the rule and reign of Christ. That manifests the kingdom of God to the world around us. When people see the way you do these things and they say, wow, that really lines up. They're getting a glimpse and a foretaste of the kingdom of God. In our study a few few weeks ago, I talked about the the marriage metaphor that we have. Part of the reason that God gives us marriage is so that we can manifest the love that Christ has for his bride. Not that we compare husbands to Jesus. No, we are not Christ. But in some way, the the way that we love shows the way that Christ loves his bride, the church. These ways that we live are things that give The culture and the world around us, a taste of what the kingdom of God is like. The church is the primary way that God has chosen by which we will usher in his kingdom, and we are to be a part of that vanguard. And if we're honest with ourselves, including me, we don't always act like it. I think a lot of times we think of the church as something to consume rather than an army to join. (laughs) the analogy of of a vanguard as an army that's the first on the front lines I don't know about you but oftentimes in the church that's not how I feel I feel like we spend more time worrying about the minutia and the details about whether we liked that song when the service ends what will you ask yourself Are you going to ask questions like, yeah, did I like that first song? Did I like that piece that they did? Did I like the sermon? Uh, I would have rather seen it preached this way, or I would have rather he said this. Or are we going to start to ask ourselves, how can what we've heard this morning shape the way that we go out and project the kingdom and, and, and be the vanguard of the kingdom to others? See, we don't always think of church that way. We we want to, we, we want to say, yeah, we are the vanguard of the kingdom and we are out and about and when people drive by St. Prez, they see something that's so irresistible. But the reality is we don't always measure up to that, do we? We need to look at the church as the front line for the kingdom so that everything we do in this place, every choice we make, As leaders and as as parishioners, as people in the congregation, every choice is somehow aligned towards making sure that the kingdom is made much of in the world in which we live. The early Christians, before they used the word Christian, they were called the followers of the way. And they, they implied that everywhere they went, when people looked at them, they said, hey, listen, I know that there's a way that the world says things are supposed to go, but we have a different way. And when you looked at it, it was appealing Because it was the way that God designed things to be. This is the logic guy in me. If you think about it, the way, living towards the way of Christ, living into the kingdom, putting your things and your possessions and your treasures, your talents, your time under the rule of God, really all you're doing is you are saying, listen, there's a way that I was created to be and I'm going to live into that because the one who made me, he might just know better about what the fullness of life means than I do. And so we order ourselves under Him. In our church lives, what's really important? What is really important for Stowe Presbyterian Church? Is it worship or childcare preferences? Is it having the most fun youth group? What are we? Is it is it a matter of asking? What can, we can, what can we get out of it today? Or is it a matter of asking, okay, are, are we comfortable? Do we have the right to this or the right to that? Or is it a matter of asking, how can we most project the kingdom out there, even if it costs us, even if it costs us everything? Imagine if we started to ask those questions in a serious way, what it would do to the surrounding community. In our personal lives, how is God reigning supreme in your home, in your work, in your finances, and in your calendar? Is he an afterthought when you turn off this live stream or walk out of the door? Or are the ways that he calls us to live actually guiding and ruling your everyday life choices? How can a person, this is a hard one, how can a person who doesn't know Jesus see his reign in your life when they watch you? How is the kingdom manifested in your life to other people, both as an individual and as a church? When we start to answer those questions in practical ways, we start to think through ordering our lives under him, we will start to actually be this vanguard. We will be a people who, through the Holy Spirit, are empowered to take the kingdom to come into this world so that people will see it and say, I don't know. Those people were kind of weird. I drive past the building every day, but there is something about the interactions I have with them that makes me want to be a part of what's happening there. And people will come when we go out. They'll be curious. That's how I came to know Jesus. (laughs) It wasn't because the sermon was great or the live stream was 1080p. Or the sound quality of the song was wonderful. It was because I, for the first time in a year of being part of a church, saw people actually living the way that they were intended to live by the way that Christ calls them. And when I saw it, it was irresistible. Because the Holy Spirit was working in me all that time. And his grace is irresistible. A little bit of a Calvin reference in there. I couldn't resist. How are you living into... The kingdom and is your life both as a church body and as an individual manifesting that kingdom and if it isn't i encourage you to pray this week about some of the changes you might make these are hard things but with the guidance of the holy spirit in prayer and in petition we can ask the lord to shape us and change our hearts and my hope and prayer would be that we as individuals and as a church would begin to do that over the next few weeks in the next few years, and we'll see what God does with it, because he will do incredible things through his church, because he calls it into existence, and he's the one who tells us the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you establish your church, we thank you that through the profession of Peter that you call into existence this church your bride that we can be a part of that we can live in community and that we can together show the world the way There's so many things wrong with this world and God we we ask that you would give us wisdom and guidance that you would point us in the directions that you want to take, not just this church, but your, your large sea church. That you would give clear direction that we would be willing to follow, even if it costs, even if it costs everything. Thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. Be with us this week as we go out and allow us to find ways in our everyday lives to be vanguards for your kingdom to come. We love you and we praise you. And all his people said, amen.